All right, guys. So today's message is called The Divine Disconnect. Might sound kind of like a weird concept, the divine disconnect. Also a weird picture to go with it. We've got, what is it? It's a, it's a tree. Is it, yeah, it's in a box in the sky. Not usually where you find a tree. Uh, let me ask you this. Is a tree a sky thing or an earth thing? It's an earth thing, right. Let me ask you this. Is God a heaven guy or an earth guy? Both. Yeah, I'd say both. And check this out. This is where this comes in for me. I think sometimes we forget certain things about God. And I think we, th we look at God like he's way off in the sky and he's distant from us and he's not really involved in our world. But just like that tree, that tree is very connected to the world. It is like, it, it's a part of it. With God, he's not just out there in the distance, he's involved in our life. He is a part of heaven and he is a part of our life on earth right now. And I think a lot of times we deal with this kind of divine disconnect where we just view God as something totally separate. I think a lot of times we can be disconnected from reality and kind of forget our identity. Like, I gotta tell you guys a story. Um, so there's, there's my buddy Sam. So <clears throat> I took Sam and some other kids to um, Get Air, which is an indoor trampoline park. Were any of you guys there that day? Were you there, Justin? Yeah? So you remember what happened. Like, Sam is with us. We're all jumping around these trampolines. You guys are doing really good, backflips and crazy stuff. Like, I am just so old and out of shape and trying to keep up. Like, and the best I can do is just literally bounces, like just straight bounces. I tried to like run up the wall and like fell on my back. It was awesome. So uh, Sam is doing all these crazy tricks and he dives forward onto this trampoline and his knee goes up and hits himself in the head. Like his just, you know, skinny, jagged, bony knee, just right in the face. The kid gets a concussion. And literally, it was the scariest thing that's ever happened to me in youth ministry because he was losing his mind. Like I looked it up later. Scott thinks he was faking. I don't. Um, I looked it up. He kept repeating the same questions over and over again. He couldn't remember like where he was, what he was doing. He couldn't remember waking up that day. In fact, he couldn't remember the last couple months. Like he actually thought we were all still in school when in fact we were all in summer. So I'm gonna play you guys a clip so you can see how disconnected Sam was from reality. So my face feels really swollen. Right. Obviously. We've been over this, right? How long have we been here? We've been here for about 40 minutes. That's probably the 12th time you've asked Are you me that. Are you that? Dude, I'm dying. Yeah. Who gave me this water? Mrs. Kurger. She's here? I told you about 20 times. I made you repeat. Repeat after me. Who gave you this water? Mrs. Mrs. Kurger. Mrs. Kurger gave me the water. Who drove you here? I don't remember. I did. You drove me here. Who was in the van? Why are you filming me? So I can show you later that you okay. totally lost your mind. Sweet. Who was in the van? Christian James, Good. Justin Westby. Right. And you forgot Sabrina, but she was, I don't know who that is. she was in the front seat. Yeah, you don't know her. She was the one girl in the car. Who gave me this water? <laughs> Mrs. Kruger, dude. How, how long have we been here? We've been here for about 40 minutes. So I need myself in the face probably, right? Yeah. My face feels swollen. Right. You ha I think you got a concussion. Where did my shoes go? My you, feet you, you took off your shoes because uh, we're at Get Air. I, yeah. And uh, they make you take off your shoes to jump Where on the trampoline. Where are we? 
Now you're just messing no, with me. No, no, like get air, but where is this? Like, this what is city? Vista. Vista? That's probably the 10th time you've asked me that. Are you serious? Yeah, we're in Dude, Vista. what if I'm dying? You're not. Um, do you remember waking up this morning? No. You don't remember anything in between waking up and now? No. Really? Do you normally have a bad memory? I don't want to turn off the camera. It's so sad at the end. He like he realizes his memory's gone. He's like he gets he gets like this really distant like look in his eyes. Like turn off the camera, dude. Like I don't want to do this anymore. I think it was real. Yeah. So a lot of times as believers, guys, as followers of Jesus, I really truly believe that we kind of forget who we are. Like we know, oh, I'm a Christian. I go to church. That's what I'm supposed to do. But we forget that we are connected to God. We forget that God is actually a part of our heart and soul. We forget that God has a mission and a purpose for us. Like we forget that we're so connected. So we're gonna look in the text at John chapter 10, and we're gonna watch our video that goes through and you can read along. But we're in John chapter 10, and we're gonna start in verse 11. We're gonna cover a little bit of what Tony taught last week. Um, but we're going to go through verse 11 through 21. So let's see what Jesus has to say. He's talking about being the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd who is willing to die for the sheep. When a hired man who is not a shepherd and does not own the sheep sees a wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and runs away. So the wolf snatches the sheep and scatters them. The hired man runs away because he is only a hired man and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. As the Father knows me, and I know the Father, in the same way I know my sheep, and they know me. And I am willing to die for them. There are other sheep which belong to me that are not in this sheep pen. I must bring them too. They will listen to my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I am willing to give up my life in order that I may receive it back again. No one takes my life away from me. I give it up of my own free will. I have the right to give it up, and I have the right to take it back. This is what my father has commanded me to do. Again, there was division among the people because of these words. He has a demon! He's crazy! Why do you listen to him? A man with a demon could not talk like this. How could a demon give sight to blind people? All right, so that's where we leave off for now. I love these videos, though. Sometimes the, so, sometimes the acting is really good, and sometimes it's a little crazy, but I like them. I love the awkward pause when Jesus puts his hand on like the little girl, and he's like, and she's just like, <laughs> that's great. The first thing that I notice is that Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. Now, what makes a good shepherd? Like, just think, like, realistically, with somebody who looks after sheep, what makes a good shepherd? I would say keeping them safe, keeping track of how many sheep you have, keeping them full of grass, finding the best grass fields, keeping them from walking off cliffs. But Jesus says, like, those are all the things you think are the things that a good shepherd would do. Jesus says, no, the good shepherd dies for his sheep. And think about it, if you're a shepherd in that audience, you're probably thinking, what? Like, really? Like, I'm not gonna die for a sheep. Like, they're sheep. 
I've got like 40 sheep. Like if one sheep was about to get eaten, like I don't care. <laughs> like I lose money, but it's just a sheep. Sheep herding is this really common job at the time, and there are people hired to keep the sheep safe. Many in the audience were probably shepherds, and they're hearing this, and Jesus says, the good shepherd dies for the sheep. And they're, they're thinking, I absolutely wouldn't do that. Jesus is different. He's a different kind of shepherd. He says, I'm the shepherd, I'm the good one. I am the, will I'm the one who's willing to die for my sheep. And I think... We can be disconnected from these words. We can hear these kind of words and we can think like, what is Jesus really trying to say? Listen, I, I was thinking about this the other night. I was driving and um, I was heading home down Barsby Street and it was like right before you turn into where my house is and there was this rabbit that was just sitting in the middle of the road, just sitting there, like literally just chilling in the middle of the road. And normally, like I see rabbits all the time and you just drive towards them and they run away. Well, this rabbit, like, was, like, stone-cold killer. Like, he literally just sat there staring at my car. Like, and I was driving towards it, and I was, like, literally, like, my wheel was, like, right up to the rabbit, and then he made this face, and, no. <laughs> he didn't really make that face. Um, but he, he just stood there. He didn't move, and I had to swerve my car. Like, I almost got an accident trying to save my life from this rabbit. So then... I started heading back to my house, and I started thinking about the rabbit. I was like, that poor rabbit. And then, like, something in me wanted to be a hero, and I was like, I should. It's probably paralyzed with fear. It probably can't move, so I want to rescue this rabbit. And, and I, I thought, I got to go back and save him. Like, I'm going to go get my backpack, and I'll scoop him up, and I'll bring him home, and then we'll have this pet rabbit. And, but then I started to really think about it, and I was like, wait a minute, that, that could be kind of dangerous. Like, what if a car hits me? Like, what if the rabbit bites me? Like, what if it's hard? What if it's difficult? Like, you know what? Brooklyn probably doesn't even want a rabbit in the house. You know what? Like, I'm, I'm over it. And, and, and in an instant, I went from wanting to save this rabbit to, like, not caring about the rabbit at all. And contrast it with Jesus. Jesus looked at us when we were at our worst. He looked at us with all of our sin, every sin we've ever done in our life. And Jesus knew that saving us would be a crazy risk, and yet he still did it. Jesus went through more pain and suffering than any other human in the universe. He sweat drops of blood for us. He was hated by so many, and yet he did it for us. Church kids, church kids, people who grew up in the church, we can never lose sight of this. Jesus knew how hard it would be to rescue us, and yet he did it. How many of you guys, any of you guys fans of Matt Damon? Like, I don't know if, really? Yeah? Like, you like his movies? So, I like Matt Damon. Somebody calculated, like, you know how Matt Damon was in um, Saving Private Riven, or Ryan, Riven? <laughs> Saving Private Riven. Um, <laughs> Matt Damon was in Saving Private Ryan, and it's this movie about saving Matt Damon. Well, apparently, Matt Damon has been saved in, like, almost every movie he's been in. And they actually calculated how much money it would cost, like, to, like all the different times they had to save him. So, um, in Courage Under Fire, it would cost about... Uh, $300,000 to save him. In Saving Private Ryan, about $100,000. It was a search over uh, World War II European area. In, in Titan After Earth, it cost about $200 billion to evacuate the spaceship. Um, in Syriana, it cost $50,000. In Green Zone, it cost $50,000. In Elysium, 
uh, it cost 100 million. In Interstellar, it cost about 500 billion. And in The Martian, which was a good movie, it cost about 200 billion. So altogether, we're looking at like almost a trillion dollars to save Matt Damon. And it's like, I don't know what it is about his face that makes people want to save him so much, but maybe, maybe we just need to let Matt Damon die. I don't know. Like, um, the reality is Jesus paid an even higher price for us. He paid the price of his blood. He paid the price of his death. And we can forget that. We can have this divine disconnect where all we're thinking of with Jesus is kind of thanks for saving me. Like, hey, get out of hell free card. I get to go to heaven. Thanks, Jesus. And we forget the cost. We forget the cost of the cross. We forget the cost of what Jesus went through. Guys, listen. If you're an average teenager, you're probably, no matter how confident you seem on the outside, you probably have moments where you think, I'm worthless. You probably have moments where you think, I'm not good enough. Girls, you probably have moments where you think, I'm not pretty enough. Guys, you probably have moments where you look in the mirror and you say, you know what, I'm not good looking enough. When I compare myself to the other guys, when I compare myself to the other girls, like I don't meet the standard of what I'm supposed to be. You might be thinking I'm not talented enough. You might be thinking I'm too much of a failure. You might think at times I'm not holy enough. I'm not good enough. Listen, you need to be connected to the truth. You need to remember that if you were the only person on the entire planet, Jesus would die for you. How many of you guys know that song, Stitches? Anybody? I'm not the hugest fan of it. I find it kind of annoying, um, to be honest, kind of whiny, but there's a lyric in it. Um, when I was on the San Francisco missions trip with uh, Trevor and Morgan, uh, like all the kids in the car wanted to listen to that song. So it got stuck in my mind and I was thinking about the lyrics and there's this actual lyric in there where it says, you watch me bleed until I can't breathe. I'm shaking, falling onto my knees. And now that I'm without your kisses, I'll be needing stitches. And you know, it's supposed to be this romantic, kind of like I'd do anything for you, but I thought about it and I was like, this reminds me of Jesus in a way because Jesus was the God who was willing to die instead of live without us. Have you ever thought about that? Like he looked at his potential future as God and saw a universe where you went to hell. He saw a future where you would be without him. And he said, I'm gonna bleed for them. If I'm gonna be without their love, like, I'm going to be in a world of pain. And he went to the cross for us. Another song that I think of is um, a song that's a little bit more popular, which is Adele's Hello from the Other Side, you know, or just Hello, it's called. And <clears throat> anyone a fan of that one? I'll admit it. It's pretty dang catchy and epic. And, like, when it's raining outside, I go out in my backyard and I just... No, I'm just kidding. That'd be <laughs> ridiculous. But it's this song about a breakup and a loved one trying to scream across a gap. Hello from the other side. I must have called a thousand times to tell you I'm sorry for everything that you've done, like, or everything that I've done. Like, it's just, it's this moment where you see the separation between the couple and she's screaming out and she's saying, I wanna connect with you. I want to reach you. But when I call, you never seem to be home. And that reminds me of how God must feel towards us because of our sin, because of your sin, because of my sin, we're separated from God. There's this giant gap between us and God, and he's on the other side. And I believe he sent Jesus to say hello from the other side. 
He sent Jesus to say, I am here for you. The Bible says that Jesus is the word. Jesus is what God has to say. The difference is God isn't apologizing for anything. He's not like Adele. He's not the one who is sorry. He's the one who actually says when he brings Jesus, what Jesus says to us is hello from the other side. I must have called a thousand times throughout the Old Testament to the new. I've been calling you to tell you I love you despite everything that you've done. But when I call, you never seem to be home. Listen, I think God's spirit is calling some of you today. Some of you today who quite possibly sit week after week in Bible studies and God is calling you and he wants to have a real authentic connection with you. And maybe you just listen and you're not opening up the ears of your heart to listen to what God is actually trying to tell you. Are you listening? Are you home? If Jesus were here talking to us in modern language, if you guys look at verses 11 through 21, I'm gonna paraphrase what I think Jesus might say to us in modern language. I think Jesus would say, listen, I'm the best shepherd you could ever possibly have because I would actually die for you, my sheep. If you hire somebody to take care of sheep, they're just in it for the money. The first time a wolf shows up, they say, I'm not paid enough for this, and they leave the sheep to die. But listen, I'm not hired help. I'm not spreading my message to get money or fame. I'm the real deal. Everyone else who promises to save you and to complete your life is just a wolf in sheep's clothing lying to you. They can't save you. I think that's what Jesus would say to us. He is the Father. He is the Son, and he is connected to the Father, and he is desperately trying to get us connected. If you here feel distant from God, you need to know that Jesus is wanting to tear down the wall between you and the Father. And I can't believe that. Jesus says, I am the Father, are one. Anyone who wants to get to the Father can come through me. I was thinking about this, and um, I was thinking about kind of when I was a kid here at Calvary and I went to school here. My dad was the pastor. And so I'd have kids sometimes who were like, man, like, I need money. Like, man, like, I want to buy some snacks. I want to buy some muffins at the little Calvary ASB food cart. And they'd have no money, they'd have no connection, and what I'd say is like, hey, let's go see my dad. And my dad had this office that was over there, it wasn't connected to the school. And because I was the son, I was able to take them to a place they could never go without my help. And I'd open up the door and I'd say, hey dad, we need some money, and he'd give us money and we'd go buy muffins. And it's a really simple illustration, but the idea is that if you wanna be connected to God, Jesus is the door to that. And we take it for granted because we, we grow up with it. It's like, oh yes, of course I can pray. Of course I can worship. But the reality that it was so difficult to get there before Jesus, it just escapes us because we're so disconnected from it. Let's look at, starting in verse 22, what happens next in the story. It was winter, and the festival of the dedication of the temple was being celebrated in Jerusalem. Jesus was walking in Solomon's porch in the temple when the people gathered round him. How long are you going to keep us in suspense? Tell us the plain truth. Are you the Messiah? I have already told you, but you would not believe me. The deeds I do by my father's authority speak on my behalf. you will not believe, for you are not my sheep. 
My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never die. No one can snatch them away from me. What my father has given me is greater than everything. And no one can snatch them away from the father's care. The father and I are one. Then the people again picked up stones to throw at him. I have done many good deeds in your presence, which the Father gave me to do. For which one of these do you want to stone me? We do not want to stone you because of any good deeds, but because of your blasphemy. You're only a man, but you're trying to make yourself God. So we'll stop it right there. So what's happening is, I want you guys to put yourself in the perspective of the people who live in this time. You see in the beginning of this part, he's walking with a group of Jews, and they say, hey, tell us plainly, like, are you the Messiah? Are, the one, are you the one that we looked for? Are you the one that we've been hoping for? So what does Messiah mean? Well, you have to know, if you guys study your Bible, like, you know, Israel got captured so many times, like, they were really bad at not getting captured. They, they were utter failures at not getting captured. They were captured by the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Philistines. Like the list goes on. Just so many people they're, they're enslaved to. And then they're freed for a little bit, and then they're enslaved again. Israel lived in slavery. And so the Messiah in their mind, there was prophecies. Like when they read their Bible, um, they looked forward to prophecies. And the prophecies they looked forward to were one day a king will come who will free us from slavery. And so they were waiting for it. And they asked Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one that we're looking for? And Jesus is like, I've already told you. Like, I've already made it super clear what I am. I am the one that you're looking for. You just don't see it. You see, what they were looking for is they were looking for a violent warrior king. Think about it. Like right now, Rome, they're enslaved to. So what they're thinking is, we want a king who's going to put on a crown and get on a horse and get a sword and go and just stab some Romans. Like, that was literally what they wanted. Go and overthrow the Roman Empire. They wanted a violent, bloody warrior king who would free them. The crazy thing was they were so disconnected from God's plan that they actually missed what Jesus really was. You see, some people think of Jesus as like, oh, you know, Jesus was all about peace. You know, he's this hippie guy out in the desert, love and peace. You know what the reality is? Jesus came to make war. Jesus absolutely came to make war, but not against mankind, but the sin that enslaved them. He didn't ride a horse and wield a sword. He rode a donkey, and his weapon was a cross. He didn't fight with a sword. He fought with a cross, and his weapon was the weapon of love and sacrifice. If you think about it, Jesus was a violent warrior king. The death on the cross was super violent and super bloody, if you've seen the Passion on the Christ. See, it's a different kind of violence. He wasn't attacking man because he knew. If Jesus were to just, because he could have done it. He could have gone into Rome and literally snapped his fingers and made everyone's heads just pop off. He could have thrown down lightning bolts and fireballs. But Jesus knew that that would solve nothing because another violent empire would just rise up in his place. Jesus knew that what he had to attack was not man, but the sin that enslaved mankind. And that's why Jesus is my hero. 
Jesus says, listen, the, the stuff that I do, the deeds that I do, they prove who I am. I did miracles. I loved people. I was kind. I had God's authority. When they're asking him, Jesus says, he says, listen, guys, I'm telling you everything about me, but you will not believe because you are not my sheep. And everyone reacts like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. I want to ask you, think about it today. You know, and I don't want to just assume you're all okay. Because I remember when I was your age, I struggled with this stuff. So I want to ask you, would Jesus call you his sheep? I want you to consider that question this morning. Would Jesus call you his sheep? What, what does it mean to be a sheep? Look at verse 27. Read it, read it. Verse 27. Starting in verse 27, Jesus gives a list of what it means to be his sheep. He says, my sheep, listen to my voice. Do you listen to Jesus' voice? He says, my sheep, know me. Do you know him? He says, my sheep, follow me. So when Jesus says something, do you go, sweet saying, Jesus, I'm going to write that on my notebook because it looks rad. Or do you actually follow what Jesus says to do? He also says, my sheep get eternal life. So listen, if you're here today and you identify as a follower of Jesus, if you're here today and you're like, I am one of Jesus' sheep, I am a follower of Jesus, I do listen to his voice, then listen, you have eternal life. That's, that's the benefit. Accepting Jesus, not just saying a prayer and then like living your life, but following Jesus, putting your trust in Jesus. He says, you have eternal life and you will not be snatched away. And that's so encouraging. He's saying literally, he's like, guys, the Father gave you to me. If you put your trust in me, God has given you into my hands and nothing can take you out. That's really encouraging. Because I don't know about you, but when I was growing up and right now, a lot of times I felt like theologically, I wasn't all there. Like I would feel like when I'd hear a Bible study, I'd listen, I'd be like, I don't get like half of this. Like, I don't understand. Does that mean that God doesn't love me? There was times where I would think, man, I'm, I'm young, I still need to grow. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, I'm young, I still need to grow. Like, I still make mistakes. Like, I still sin. Listen, none of that matters. <laughs> it's such a relief to know that all it takes is just putting your trust in Jesus. You are saved by your faith in Jesus, and you will grow. If you're here today and you're like, man, I just, I, I struggle, I sin, I mess up. The longer you know Jesus, the longer you're in his hands, the more that you grow. And the enemy cannot snatch you out. That's so encouraging. Because so many times when I was your age, I was wondering, am I saved? Am I not saved? I just sinned the other day. I don't know if I am saved because Christians don't sin, right? No, listen. If you put your faith in Jesus, if you say, Jesus, I want to be one of your sheep, I want to follow you, then no matter what, you're in his hands and you cannot be snatched away. It's so encouraging. Jesus says, because God and the Father are one, he is the way to the Father. Which sounds awesome. Like, to have a connection with God, it sounds like the greatest thing in the world. But the Jews, what they think is, let's stone him. Let's pick up rocks and let's chuck them at Jesus. No matter how good Jesus was, no matter how great the things Jesus said was, there was something shocking and dangerous about him. He looked and talked and acted, or talked <laughs> He looked and talked and acted, that's what I was trying to say, like a man. But he said that he was God. Jesus was controversial. Let's look at the end of the passage. Look at verse 31. We're going to start in verse 31. And we're going to finish out this passage. I have done many good deeds in your presence which the Father gave me to do. 
For which one of these do you want to stone me? We do not want to stone you because of any good deeds, but because of your blasphemy. You're only a man, but you're trying to make yourself God. It is written in your own law that God said you are gods. We know that what the scripture says is true forever. And God called those people gods, the people to whom his message was given. As for me, the Father chose me and sent me into the world. How then can you say that I blaspheme because I said that I am the Son of God? Do not believe me then if I am not doing the things my Father wants me to do, but if I do them, even though you do not believe me, you should at least believe my deeds in order that you may know once and for all that the Father is in me and that I am in the Father. Blasphemy! Once more they tried to seize Jesus, but he slipped out of their hands. Jesus then went back again across the Jordan River to the place where John had been baptizing, and he stayed there. Okay, just one thing I want to say, I love in these videos how Jesus just always looks so disappointed in like the crowds, like his face is just like, Seriously, guys, they're all trying to stone him, and I love how he's just like, I'm out, and he like just walks to the left, and they're all like running at him to stone him, and we just see him walk to the left, and then like, he's gone. Like me and Tony were talking about that, or me and Trevor were talking about that, and it's like, okay, if we were really there, it's like he would walk to the left, and then we would just see him continuing to walk off, and so we'd chase him, but in the video, he's, he does like Batman, like he like opens up a window and jumps out. I don't know, okay. So did anyone catch the super controversial thing Jesus said in that, anybody? Did you, did you guys get it? Like, he said something that was kind of odd. Did, did anyone catch it? Were you guys listening? Raise your hand if you know. What was the weird thing? Raise your hand if you know and you haven't talked to me about it recently. <laughs> what, what was it? He said, you are gods. Okay, so we got to talk about this before we leave, okay? Guys, seriously, when this stuff came up when I was a junior high pastor, I was just like, and skip. <laughs> like, I'm not going to teach this because I have no idea. So all week I've been studying this, and I wish I had more time, but let's go into this. So I'm going to break down what happened, if you didn't catch it in the video. They're coming to Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, who do you think you are? You're claiming to be the Son of God. Then Jesus quotes the Psalms. Like, Jesus was a Bible student, so he pulls out the Psalms, and he's like, well, if you look here in Psalm 82, it actually says, when God's talking to a group of people, he says, hey, guys, I said you are gods, but you're not acting like it. What's up with that? So Jesus is he's trying to defend his idea that he's the son of God by saying, why is it so weird that a man couldn't also be God? Because look, in the Bible, it's God calls people gods. Is this, like, raise your hand if that's weird to you. Anybody think that's weird? Yeah, it's, it's weird. I was reading, I was like, this is weird. It's controversial because Mormons will take that verse and they'll run with it. Um, so one of the things that some of my Mormon friends believe is that um, you are a God and you are a spirit, and you're here on earth as a human, but one day you will ascend to godhood. And if you are a man, you will have your own planet, and you will rule over it. And if you're a girl, you'll be married to one of those men, and you'll be a goddess who is eternally pregnant forever, giving birth to spirit babies for all time. 
inhabiting your own planet. So if any of you guys are considering joining the Mormons, just keep that in mind. Just know what's in store for your future. Um, why did Jesus say this? This is so weird. Like, I was reading this, and I was like, why on earth did he say this? I'm going to show you what, what he's referencing. Okay, this is Psalm 82. So this is a psalm. It's a poem, and it's written from the perspective of God. It says, God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. How long, this is God, he's talking, how long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the most high, but you will die like mere mortals. You will fail like every other ruler. So what is... What is he talking about here, okay? <laughs> I did some studying. Here's what's going on. In this psalm, it's, it gets kind of meta. You guys know Inception, where it's like a dream within a dream within a dream, right? So Jesus, in the Gospel of John, references Psalm 82, which is actually a callback to something that happened in Deuteronomy. So if you go to Deuteronomy, God goes to a group of men, and he says, listen, guys, I am making you judges. You are going to represent me. You are going to be the people who, when people look at you, they see God and they see my nature. You're like little me's. And so I want you to be kind and fair and just. And so if you go to Psalm, what he's saying is God's looking at these guys and he said, listen, guys, I made you judges. You're, you're like little me's and you're not acting like it. You're, you're not defend, or you're, you're defending the unjust. You're you're showing favor to wicked people. I told you to defend the weak and the fatherless, to uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, to, west, to, to rescue the weak and the needy and to deliver them, and you're not doing it. You're not acting like me. And so I think of it this way. This is the easiest way I can break this down and explain it to you, okay? God is not saying that men are gods. They're not, they're not deities. God is the only God. The Bible is clear. There is one God, and his name is Yahweh. So... It'd be like this. Let's say a cop came to your school and a cop showed up and was like, hey dudes, I want you guys to be like the mini-me's of the school. I'm gonna give you a sick badge. You're gonna be like hall monitors, okay? And he says to you, like, you guys are kinda like the cops of the school. Now, does that mean you're an actual cop? No, you're not a real cop. You haven't gone to Police academy. I was going to say cop school. <laughs> you haven't gone to police academy. Like, you don't, you don't have your credentials. Like, you're, you're not a real cop. But you've been made to be in the image of a cop. You've been put in that position. So, in the same way, we as humans are made in the image of God. I'm going to show you guys a video really quick that kind of explains what it means to be made in the image of God. The canvas of God's love is broad. But as Christians exercise the love of God in the world, one common thread holds it all together. The Christian story speaks of a mystery that lies deep in the soul of every human being. In the beginning, God in all his power and creativity reached down to craft a world that reflects his glory. By his word, he spoke the planets into existence, but with his hands and his breath, 
He sculpted men and women unlike anything else. The scriptures tell us that human beings were God's masterwork, and he wrote his signature, set his imprint on the human soul. Humans are created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. We have the ability to create, worship, communicate, reason, and relate. We are capable of love and responsible for our actions. The Christian story also tells us that humankind, created for intimacy with God, rejected God instead. Created to reflect Him, we sought to replace Him. This sin brought death and destruction into the world. But the fall is not the end of the story. For God sent a Redeemer, the perfect image of the invisible God, took the fractured pieces of our humanity and bound them up, restoring the broken image of God and renewing our lost fellowship with Him. This, the image of God, changes everything. It shapes how we see the world and one another and calls us to honor the image of God in everyone. Okay, so I hope that made sense. I know the audio was kind of choppy. But basically what I'm trying to show you guys is that God made you in his image. So when God in the scriptures looks at a group of people and says, you are gods, he's not saying, yeah, you guys are deities. Like you're like Thor and Zeus and you have magical powers. All he's saying is, you are miniature versions of me. I am your father. I made you like me. So guys, this is really what I want you guys to get today. And we got to wrap up, but this is what I want you guys to get. As humans, you live in the middle of a divine disconnect because you forget who you really are. You forget that if you go back to Genesis chapter one and two and three, man was created in the image of God. God said, I wanna make people who are just like me. And he didn't make people to just be his servants or his slaves or even his family, which I talk about a lot. He made them to be his family. God also made you to be a reflective image of him, a mirror of him. And some people get it wrong. Like for instance, um, you know, Kanye is a guy who has said, I am a God. And when he says that in his album, what he's saying, he's not saying I'm made in the image of God and I'm here to reflect glory back to Jesus. What he's saying is I'm worthy to be worshiped. I need praise. I need affirmation. I need people to tell me how great I am. And we can make fun of Kanye. Uh, which I've done before. But the reality is, everything that Kanye is saying when he says, I am a God, we actually say all the time too in our own heart. We would never say it out loud. We would never say, oh, I think I'm a God. But every time we're selfish, every time we choose our own way over loving our friend or our parents or our siblings, every time we choose to sin, what we're saying in our heart is I am a God. And it's, it's wrong. You know, this, he's, he's this guy who, um, you know, you see trying to make himself out to be a savior. Like, look to me for glory and praise, and we do that all the time, too. Here's where we end. I heard this story recently about three college students who needed to raise money for their school tuition so they can get through college, and they had this idea. They said... I want to put on a play, like a big production. So they're thinking like, we're gonna like get lights and we're gonna get actors and we're gonna write this big script. It's gonna be a musical. It's gonna be amazing. 
So they have this idea like, man, if we can sell tickets to our show, like people will come to it and it's gonna be great and we can raise money. But then they start budgeting it and realizing like, man, this is really expensive. And then they go to their parents and they ask their parents about it and they're like, what do you think we should do? And the parents are like, we can't afford that. Like you guys need to scale back. So then they get a storage unit, like one of those kind of garages and they, instead of what they wanted to on a big stage with lights and cameras, like, they're like, we'll just do like a three-man show. We can't hire any actors. Like, we'll just be on this stage and in this storage unit, and it'll be fine. And everyone around them, their parents, their teachers, their friends are like, this is a terrible idea. Like, you're not going to make any money. Second situation is there's a girl who gets asked by a professional actor, like, this guy who is a master director, master actor, he says to her, like, I want you to be in my play. I want you to move to New York, and I want you to come to Broadway, and you're going to star in my big show. At that point, all of the, her parents and friends are like, this is a great idea. You should do it. This is great. The difference between the two situations is the first situation is these three college students who are trying to do something themselves, and they don't have the power to do it. And they're trying to get people involved in it. And it's all about them and their story and their thing that they want to do. And nobody's interested because they don't have any power behind it. But in the second situation, everyone's behind that girl because someone who is bigger than her, someone who is better than her, someone who has the credentials is calling her to be a part of something bigger than herself. And so many times in our life, we only care about our story. We only care about what our life is about. We want, to, we want to ask God, like, hey, God, can you support my dreams? Can you support my plan for my life? When God is saying, I want to invite you to be a part of something bigger. I want you to not live your life for your glory, but for my glory. It's not about your story. It's about God's story. And I just want to encourage you guys, like, that doesn't mean, like, being a part of God's story, it doesn't mean you have to shave your head and move to the mountains and become a monk. Like, all it means is you dedicate yourself to Jesus. All it means is you say, Jesus, I care more about you than anything else, and I wanna follow you and do whatever you're calling me to do. So I just wanna pray for you guys right now. Lord, we love you. God, we just ask that you would help us to not forget who we are. God, you're the only God, we're not God's. But we know that we're, we're called to be many versions of you. We're called to reflect you and your glory and your nature. God, I ask, I pray that you would help us to remember, remember that we're like the moon. Without the sun, we hang in darkness. But with the sun, you reflect light through us and we shine for you. I pray, God, that you'd help us today to not be disconnected from you, but to tap into your spirit and remember who we really are humans created in your image. God, even though in the story we see these Jews not believing you and hating you and wanting to stone you, God, we know the truth. You are the son of God. You are the one who lived and died for us. We're so thankful for you. We love you, Jesus. Help us to follow you this week. In your name, amen.